And my thoughts and condolences go to the families and friends of those who have lost their loved ones, and I share your grief. Today on Context, Canada's other health crisis, the opioid epidemic amid the global coronavirus pandemic. Since COVID-19 hit all of us, opioid use in Canada is at record levels and rising. The key to decriminalization, as you pointed out, is making sure that there is a safer supply. Many vulnerable people in our communities have not been able to reach the harm reduction services they rely on. These are our brothers and sisters our co-workers, our sons, our daughters, our friends, our community. Today on the program, addictions medicine specialist and investigative coroner, Dr. Kumar Gupta. And in Alberta alone, for the first six months of 2020, 2.5 people died every day there. Filmmaker Matthew Embry talks about his movie on the opioid epidemic. Plus, social work student Stuart Cameron explains why Jesus is the ultimate social worker. But first, here's our Maggie John with Dr. Kumar Gupta. Welcome to the program. To be clear about our show today, we're talking about opioid abuse, not people who rely on opioids to get through the pain that they endure for all kinds of physical reasons. Dr. Kumar Gupta joins us from Toronto. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Maggie, for having me. So how do people get addicted to opioids? It would seem that many people are easily getting addicted to this. Shed some light on this for us. Well, you know, the best way to do is through an example, and I'll, I'll shed light, I'll spend maybe, you know, a, a few seconds talking about an example. You take Mr. You take Joe, the construction worker who hurts his back. And, and this is a classic scenario. Joe hurts his back at work. He got three beautiful kids at home. He has a wife, he has a happy marriage, he's hardworking. We look up to Joe, he works hard. And Joe suddenly gets a prescription of Percocet from his family doctor for back pain. Joe starts feeling better with the back pain, but notices that after a week, you know, he's actually feeling like he still needs back pain. I better get a refill from my doctor. Suddenly Joe gets a little bit more, probably more than what he needs because he's now liking the really good feeling effect of opiates. The, the, it's a powerful drug because it, it goes to the feel-good receptors of the brain and gives you an enormous euphoria. So Joe feels better at work. Joe's not getting upset when his wife's arguing with him. Joe's not stressed out over anymore of a revenue can or whatever it comes his way. Um, and he wants another prescription, but not for the back pain because he's feeling better on it. Suddenly he develops a tolerance. Suddenly his need for opiates go up. Suddenly, the doctor is not seeing that this is maybe addiction, and he's on giving those prescriptions to him. And now we're in a situation where Joe is dependent and addicted to them. And what happens is when he suddenly stops because he runs out of his medications, he has a horrific withdrawal symptom that happens when you use opiates for a long period of time. You feel horrible. And Maggie, have you ever had a toothache? Yeah. It's a horrible thing when you have a toothache. Now, imagine a toothache all over your body and you can't get out of bed. And now you need the opiate to get out of bed, to function at work. If he doesn't have the opiate, he can't work because he feels horrible, terrible pain, nausea, vomiting. Right. The, the right. horrific leads. So, but, but anyways, that's how people usually get addicted and that's kind of the scenario we see. Okay, so tell me what you're seeing in your job as an investigative coroner in relation to opioids. The number one cause of death under the age of 40 
in Canada is opiate addiction. It used to be homicides, used to be car accidents, now it is opiate addiction. So if someone dies under the age of 40, the first thing I think of as a coroner is, is this an opiate overdose? And typically, usually it is. Um, so usually what we see is people that are like you and I, hardworking, good people, um, good morals, and they somehow got addicted and they're lying in bed at home and their family members find them or they're in an alleyway or somewhere they shouldn't be. Um, and it, it's typically an overdose of opiates because of the powerful central nervous system depressant. And if they take too much of it, uh, it can suppress the drive to breathe. So often they just fall asleep. Your central nervous system shuts down, your drive to breathe shuts down, and then suddenly you die in your sleep. Um, so that's a typical classic way of dying from an overdose. We see it every week. Every, every week I'm getting a case of an opiate overdose in Toronto, um, either in a shelter, at a very nice home, at a, at a sort of an inner city kind of home in Toronto, but it's, it, it has no prejudice addiction over the type of demographics we're seeing. We're seeing it broadly throughout all the demographics. Now, Dr. Gupta, there's been a lot of talk about legalizing illicit drugs. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Maggie, have you ever been to Amsterdam? You know, Amsterdam's a great city. Um, in Amsterdam, they legalized hard drugs like opiates. And the, 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 the difference in thinking of Amsterdam and Toronto and Canada is really good people in Amsterdam get addicted. Good people um, have problems with drugs, but they're not criminals. These are good people with good morals. They have that a bad judgment call with drugs, and they're not going to be criminalized because of that bad judgment call, and they're not going to go to jail for it. Here, if you have possession of heroin or fentanyl or something else, uh, you're a criminal. So your whole, the whole society attitude towards you is you are a criminal. You don't have a problem. It's not a brain disease anymore. Um, and so that, 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 that I do believe has to change. I do believe it should be legalized. I think that I don't think it would solve the problem of what we have, but it would reduce the amount of legal obstacles that addicts and people with a brain disease disorder called opiate addiction uh, end up undergoing. Um, so that's my personal view. It's a complex, complex issue. Thank you so much, Dr. Kumar Gupta, addictions medicine specialist and investigative coroner. Thank you again for joining us today. Thank you so much, Maggie. Have a good one. Who are the afflicted ones whose lives get ravaged by addiction? Chances are you may know someone who's struggling. Mental health issues, opioid and other drug addictions don't discriminate. Overdose and substance abuse affects many people. Context executive producer Susan Ponting speaks now with Stuart Cameron, who lost his brother and best friend to overdose, but finds light in knowing God doesn't give up on people. Watch this. Late 30s, early 40s. Mom all those kids? Yeah, Stephen and I were best. a year and a half, yeah, to yeah. part, yeah. Like, I knew my brother, but I didn't know him, know him. And we never had any real discussions. Like he never, I never, he never talked to me about right. what he was going through. I tried to talk to him, but he just would be closed off. Like I'm anxious or I'm going through this. And he would never talk to me. He didn't do cocaine that much. But during that night, like he was drinking and then blow came in the, into the mix. And he did a little bit. And uh, the autopsy report came back. There was a, a lot of drugs within that cocaine. So it was lace, but there was fentanyl in it. And it was double the lethal amount of fentanyl in the cocaine it's just so i try to talk to it because i know his friends are still going to do it 
So I was like, look, this is the stuff, like the naloxone kit, or don't be afraid to call the police. Well, that's interesting, don't be afraid to call police, because a lot of people right now are afraid to call police. So my friend overdosed, Danny eventually died, the, one of my other best friend. He, he overdosed on my backyard one time, and I called an ambulance right away, and the police came, and they have the Good Samaritan law, which they can't charge you or even take your drugs or search you for drugs if you're calling for an overdose. So it's more important to save that person's life than it is to have any charges. So you lost Steven, which was so huge, and you lost Danny. Mm -hmm. What are the origins, do you think, of addiction and abuse? For me, and what I hear people say that are in my circles that struggle with substances is that we all feel a lack of disconnection and that we're just missing out on this like secret of life that it seems like everyone else is just performing, like getting up at nine in the morning every day, taking care of the kids in there, just doing all these life responsibilities to like a hero degree. And we just feel like we're either like not a part of that really low or sometimes we feel like we're better than but there's never like a true or real connection in terms of like being equal so we're like that sober and just afraid most of the time so when we take when i drink booze or somebody else does drugs that all those feelings go away i never i never plan to drink one beer so i always plan to drink to get drunk but if i even just try to do it for one night I'll carry that on to the X amount of days later until I'm, I can't take it anymore. And so here we are at a Christian university. You're in, enrolled in social work program uh, against all odds. Is that why you're getting into social work so that you cannot give up on people as well? I feel sometimes really grateful to be in a place like this because like no, no one from my family yet has like attempted to go to, to university and where we where I grew up in Hamilton was really I was living in poverty barely getting the proper dinners and like on the food and stuff like that so to be here and to be on this journey is only something I can attribute to like God's never-ending faithfulness and earth angels along the way yeah, you earth said angels. yeah like my girlfriend Deanna like that girl has elevated me to another level in my, in my, the way that I think, the way that I act, the way that I conduct myself. She hasn't given up, and, and when, when she should have. I, in AA, I learned that to help others is the key to sobriety. But, you know, a step further is, like, I think Jesus was the ultimate social worker. Like, he's the epitome of empathy. He's the epitome of when to not help somebody anymore. He's the, he just knows, what, he knew what to do all the time. So social work and going to school, I feel like is helping my passion and what I've already experienced, just fine tune that more. I don't really care when somebody's talking to me about the good times that they've had, as much as when like I'm connecting with somebody with their pain. And that's where Jesus, he, that's, where he can, that's where he connected with God the most, you know, mm -hmm. like in his pain. And whatever we're going through that's we feel is holding us back is, is the actual thing that God is using to show us his love and to become more loving people. Mm -hmm. And that's an everyday thing. That's a, it's going to like right now I'm doing OK, but sometimes it's hard for me to it's, it's hard for me to even get up and eat cookies like and I love eating cookies. <laughs> it's, it sounds ridiculous. No, it doesn't. But like I just can't get out of bed sometimes. 
And that's where I, without the help of others, and the unf and the faithfulness of God, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. If you witness an opioid overdose, don't turn away. Stay and call 911 or your local emergency number. Follow their instructions and administer naloxone if you have it. Even if you've taken drugs or have some on you, the Good Samaritan Law can protect you. It's important to stay until help arrives. The Government of Canada is taking action. Together we can help save lives. A message from the Government of Canada. Still ahead, the conversation of harm reduction continues as the group Mum Stop the Harm recount the horror of losing a child to drug overdose. And documentary filmmaker Matthew Embry talks with us from Alberta about reducing the stigma surrounding addiction. person who's addicted, I mean, to, to a drug, they're just ordinary people. We didn't get up this morning saying we were gonna be, you know, have something horrible happen to us. They're just ordinary people. And, and they're dying from horrendous drugs and we have no way to stop it. And are we doing enough to stop it? I don't think so. Well, a group of grieving parents and loved ones called Mums Stop the Harm are trying to do just that, stop the stigma associated with drug overdose. Losing a child in such a devastating way is painful enough without shame associated with it. In British Columbia, more people died of an illicit drug overdose in the first eight months of 2020 than all of 2019. Here with us now for more from the West is Marie Adjuridis. I hope I got that right, Marie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, Marie, you experienced firsthand opioid overdose effect and hurt. Can you share what happened in January 2015? Thank you for listening to our stories. In January 2015, I was we were away for the weekend, and it was the first time we'd ever left our 19-year-old son home alone. He had to work. And uh, it was actually my husband's birthday. And I walked in the door with a cake. My cell phone kept ringing and ringing. A little annoyed, I finally answered it. And it was his father. I had been married. It was the father of my first two children. Just, you can't even describe his voice. And he was saying, Kelly's dead. Kelly's dead. And we had another son who actually struggled with, a, with we, call, you know, we call it a substance use disorder. Uh, his drug of choice was opiates. So... His struggles had had me really think that I was going to have to bury him one day, but the shock of it actually being my other son uh, really, really sent me over the edge and on this path that I'm on right now. Yeah, I mean, losing a child is the worst and probably the hardest loss. What should us as parents and adults know and do to avoid such a scenario? You know, I don't know where it's at today when parents are sitting around the kitchen table talking about the things that our kids need to watch for. But, you know, 10 years ago for me, it was marijuana, 
alcohol, give me a call if you're somebody's going to drink and drive. But the game has changed. And what they really need to start doing is talking about recreational drugs. Be open with the fact that recreational drugs have been part of our culture for thousands of years. But the danger in them today, that even dabbling can take your life. We have most every recreational drug out there is poison. And never assume, and poison not just from the point that you can get high and it's poisonous, it's actually killing people. And never assume that because it comes from a pharmacist that it's safe. And so after all of this pain and losing your son, the birth of an organization, Moms Stop the Harm, uh, started. Tell us a little bit about this group. Well, what had happened is back in 2015, when I did lose my son and had spent, spent the number of years that I did, you know, worrying about my other one, that switch went off. And I started to do a lot of media, local, and then it hit national because it was really getting a lot of attention at that time. And there was another group of women that kind of noticed across the country from different places that there was a bunch of us. So three, two from Alberta, one from BC, gave us a call across the country. And we had a meeting in Kelowna in the fall of 2016 and decided that we needed to form a national organization in order to stop, as you say, the stigma in your intro and also, uh, you know, get the reality of what overdose really looks like away from that Hollywood version that we see today. Mm. Now, you're calling for decriminalization of illicit drugs. How do you think that, that will help this growing opioid crisis? Well, I think that one of the things that we, we've tried to do is continually criminalize people who use drugs. That we assume because that, that they're morally defunct and that they're constantly causing crime. And then we've also had this... Our, our, our criminal justice systems are overwhelmed with people who are just caught with small amounts of drugs. And if you know, once a person gets addicted, the need for that drug is no different than the need you and I would have for water had we gone without it for a number of days. So to take them and, and criminalize them in the absence of care is just the wrong thing to do. It, it, it would free up a lot of the criminal justice side of our system and it would also allow people with a little bit of dignity to potentially approach someone in the event they do want some help. Thank you so much, Marie Adjuridis, for joining us today from Moms Stop the Harm. Thank you for your insights. You're welcome, and thank you. It's not really a drug problem when you think about it. It really is a, a problem with people learning to manage to how to cope and manage and deal with boredom and curiosity, but also deal with trauma and stress and depression and anxiety. That was a scene from my next guest documentary, Painkiller, Inside the Opioid Crisis. Matthew Embry is an award-winning documentary filmmaker whose work has garnered much attention. He says the biggest problem we're dealing with is the stigma of addiction and understanding what addiction is and how we're going to treat it. Matthew Embry, thank you for joining us today on Context. Thank you so much for having me and bringing uh, more awareness to this issue. Yeah, it's an important issue. Why, why did you decide to make this documentary? Yeah, I mean, this this documentary was created through a partnership with TELUS Health. Um, I mean, both TELUS and, and us recognized that, you know, there was a major issue going on across Canada and all over the world when it came to opioid addiction. And we knew that documentaries are a very powerful tool to be able to, to bring information and to hope uh, to people. And that's why we decided to create it. Yeah, and what did you find the most disturbing element in creating this documentary on such a significant issue in our country today? 
I mean, obviously, the you know the the, the number of lives that we've lost uh, in North America and around the world to this is, is is very disturbing. But but the one fact that really stood out when we were creating this is that you know we, we revealed that about one in five people. Uh, will develop uh, an opioid addiction or a problem with the drug after, say, seven to ten days of treatment. Yeah. And I think, and that's just for one course. And I think that that was a really eye-opening stat that came out that how how vulnerable a huge population is to be to becoming dependent upon opioids. One in five will get addicted mm -hmm. to opioids within ten days of taking it. Is that what you just said? That was the stat we revealed. I think it was seven to ten days. We'll have a not maybe addicted, but a problemed relationship. Wow, that is is startling. And as we see the numbers grow in BC, I know that you sat down with uh, a number of families. What was that like sitting down with families as they uh, recounted losing a loved one to this this crisis? Yeah, I mean, I mean that type of thing. You know, when you're dealing with families who've lost people, young people, yeah, of, of all ages, really. Um, it's it's a very traumatic experience uh, for them and and for the crew. I mean, it, it's not an easy thing to sit down. I mean, even you know one of the interviews was literally uh, a few blocks from where I live in Calgary, and I think that's one of the things we really wanted to show that you know this is a problem that affects all of us, and it's you know it's not just something we see on the streets and things like that. It, it's in our neighborhoods. It's in our own backyards. Yeah. Did you find any hope? I mean, I know it's such a dark issue, um, but did you find any stories of hope or are you clinging to any hope when it comes to this situation? Oh, I mean, we definitely, I mean, we, we definitely have met, met people in the journey, whether that be doctors, healthcare professionals, as well as, you know, parents who are, who are speaking out and who are doing fantastic work to bring more awareness to this issue uh, to people across Canada and all over the world. And I think the hope is in that, in, in that movement that is continuing to grow. Even by you doing a story like this, this is hopeful to me. I mean, you're bringing more awareness and, and, and trying to educate the public about an issue that we all need to pay attention to. All right. Well, you're working on another documentary called Dark Cloud. Tell us about this. Yeah, this one is about cyberbullying, and we follow um, Amanda, or Amanda Todd's mother, uh, Carol Todd, as she tries to create more awareness around cyberbullying, and you know, use Amanda Todd's legacy uh, to bring hope and to end a, another issue that affects so many of us. Wow. Looking forward to that. I mean, cyberbullying, another issue that we have to cover here on Context. So important work that you're doing. Thank you again, Matthew, for your time joining us from Calgary, Alberta. And we'll stay tuned for that upcoming documentary. Thank you again. Thank you. Coming up to British Columbia, where former drug abusers find new life through the City Dream Center and the role self-forgiveness plays in stepping out of addiction. I never thought opioids would affect someone close to me. That people would judge and make her feel invisible. That he'd be ashamed to talk about his opioid use. It happened to my husband. Our daughter. My best friend. This story could be yours. Every day in Canada, 12 people die from an opioid overdose. The Government of Canada is taking action. 
Help End Stigma. A message from the Government of Canada. A message there from the Canadian government just released this week about ending stigma surrounding opioid and drug use. Well, to British Columbia now, where the rising abuse of opioids and other illicit drugs has made that province one of the hardest hit by this epidemic. Loretta Hibbs is the founder and president of the City Dream Centre in Surrey, B.C., a group who help women with a history of crime and drug abuse reintegrate back into society. Thank you so much for joining me, Loretta. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You say a big part of the healing process for many of the women that you work with is uh, just readdressing hurt or deal and, and, and healing within their family. Talk about that. Well, we see a lot that I actually meet them, a lot of them when they get into pretrial and from pretrial, they're sentenced into federal prison. And from there, they're, once they finish the sentence, there they go into recovery. And I've walked the process with a number of them and just kind of seen how they landed in pretrial in the first place and how they've come out. And um, the stories are heartbreaking and what they've gone through even growing up has been really traumatic and uh has been huge and we've been able to walk through with them in this process for a while and just to see the difference in what's happening in their families and in their um, situations it's been pretty intense so what Loretta what's the state that these women are in when they enter into the dream center and what I mean by that is especially their relationship with drugs at that point well a lot of them that we meet there there are usually in pretrial or they're in recovery or they're in federal prison so they've had to work through some of their stuff you know they're they're um as far as detoxing and that kind of stuff we've seen them through we don't a lot of times know what what their addiction is we just know that there is an addiction and we try to help them to see past the addiction so when they come to us they're they're very jittery they're very uh, uptight. They they get triggered really easily. They're um, they're not trusting people around them. So we have to build that trust with them. We have to show them that we're not going anywhere. That we're here for them. That we care about them. And so there's a lot of building of that trust that's really really important um, because they don't have any trust because most of the people that have been around them have either abused them or taken advantage of them or um, there's a reason they are where they are. And so there's always a story behind it of how they got there. You talk about forgiveness and how important that process is and forgiving themselves. Why is that so important to recovery and reintegration? I think forgiveness of themselves is key because if you continually in life beat yourself up for the things that you've done or are doing, you know, a lot of them have guilt. They don't have their kids in their lives. They desperately want to see their kids. Um, I think forgiveness is key to forgive themselves so that they can begin to forgive others because it's um, it goes so deep, you know, like the guilt and the shame that they feel goes so deep that they have to learn to forgive themselves to say, you know what, I, I made a mistake, yes, and I want to move on from here. And until they can do that, it's really hard to move forward. So um, it really is the key to helping them to see that they do have a future, that they, they do have some gifts and talents and abilities, 
um, that they can push through and that they're really worth it, that they really have the value and that we see them and that we really care. And that's what we really people are longing for is just to have somebody believe in them, especially when they're in that stage, because so many just write them off. Um, but if you can believe in them, they can begin to forgive themselves and forgive others because they see that you see them how they are as valuable. And I know faith is definitely a part of that process as well. Important work that Absolutely. you're doing there, Loretta. Thank you so much again. Loretta Hibbs, founder and president of the City Dream Center in Surrey, BC. Thank you again. Thank you. We've learned a lot on today's program about Canada's other health crisis, the opioid epidemic. The biggest takeaways, it's never too late to seek help. Forgiveness of self and others is key. And for all of us here at Context, thanks for watching. Goodbye.